Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, joining the show today from Tunisia. And this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today, Dr. Seth Kendall joins the show again. On July 19th, 2021, Dr. Kendall joined the show and we had a conversation about the first year of the social war, which was a five-year war that was fought between the Roman Republic and many of its allied communities in the Italian peninsula. So in that episode, Dr. Kendall joined the show and we had a conversation about the circumstances around what caused the war and the main events in the first war in the or in the first year of the war rather in today's episode dr kendall's back on the show and this episode will act much like a sequel to the last episode but we will start and i will ask dr kendall if he could summarize a bit of the previous chat in the uh, early part of the conversation today uh, but this episode today is on the second year of the five years in the social war dr kendall is associate professor of history at george gwinnett college based in the US. His primary research is on ancient Rome during the Republican period with secondary fields in classical Greece and late antique and minor fields in ancient and medieval science and technology. He's author of the book, The Struggle for Roman Citizenship, Romans, Allies and the Wars of 91 to 77 BCE, which was published by Gorgias Press. And Dr. Kendall joins the show today from the state of Georgia in the U.S. Welcome back on the show, Seth. Thanks for having me. All right, so I I, I tipped you off, Seth, on the first question in the uh, <laughs> in the introduction. There, can you uh, please summarize what uh, the circumstances were that caused the social war? And can you also you probably you probably handle it um, probably. Um, handle it in the same response and we can get into the into the year two particulars can you also share what the main main events were in the the second war mainly for if uh if someone's listening who didn't catch that episode or it may be a new topic and and even if someone knows it's probably a constructive place to start in this conversation well the background to the war was that rome's italian allies uh, had increasingly come to be exploited by the Romans, and as the centuries wore on, they had increasingly come to resent it, up to the point where they decided to do something about it. And the sources are fairly unanimous in that what they decided to do was first petition the Romans to be made Roman citizens, and then when that failed, uh, essentially declared war to force them to grant this concession. There is some debate in modern literature about whether that was what all the Italian allies wanted, but it doesn't seem to be uh, ambiguous that at least some of them and most of them wanted that thing. So that's why they declared war. And the events of the first uh, year of the war, and it, it's, it's somewhat odd to refer to it like that because the first year of the war didn't start until comparatively late. Um, so sort of August, September, around that time. We, of course, we don't have, have the exact dates. But it was kicked off, I mean, the, the first year that would ultimately, the year that would ultimately become the first year of the war, the Italian allies made alliances amongst themselves to declare war. And 
then they uh, began to, to, to plan about what they were going to do next. The idea seems to be that they were going to try and catch the Romans off guard, but uh, a uh, a uh, informant, if you want to call him that, tipped a Roman praetor off that that's what they were doing, and he proceeded to summon a bunch of allies in the city of Osculum in uh, Piscinum and began to harangue them. They learned that their plot had been discovered. Uh, they set about to kill both the praetor and all the Romans um, in that city, and sort of against their will, the war was on. They sent an embassy to the Romans to look for peace, uh, basically along the lines of, we don't want war. If you'll just give us this thing we want, we don't have to have it. And the Romans somewhat arrogantly sent them away. And um, that was the, the main event of the first year. Um, the, the rest of the year was spent with the Romans trying to recruit an army and with the Allies basically doing the same thing. There were a couple of minor operations in the south of Italy, some sieges of cities, that sort of thing. And I think you said in the last episode, uh, winter occurred as well, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, it seems, I mean, and in a sense, that was a benefit to the Romans because they were all able to use all winter to make preparations, whereas if the Allies had launched a surprise attack against them in the next spring, the spring of the year 90, they would have been wholly unprepared. Okay, and, uh, and we, yeah, we should... Uh, make sure the dates are um, uh, pinpointed for, for everyone. So we're talking, in the, in the social war, we're talking 91 to 87 BCE, right? Something like that, yeah. Okay, so, so then for the most part, we're in the conversation, so in the conversation today, for the most part, we're focusing on 90 BCE, right? Correct. Okay. Yes, that's right. Okay, and, and so the... Uh, and it's the sp I think it was the spring, right? That's that's sort of the point where we left off last time. Correct, spring of the year nine. Okay, so by this point in time, can you share what the main parties? Um, doesn't have to be comprehensive if it's a bit dip difficult or uh, obfuscated um, uh, or nebulous. Who the main parties were in a comprehensive manner uh, at this point in time, but can you share? Uh, or who the parties were, if, if that's a bit nebulous to share it in a uh, conclusive, in a in a comprehensive way. But can you share what the main allied communities were that would have been in the war by this point in 90 BC against Rome? Yeah, um, there were there was a I mean a, a confederacy of uh, of Italian tribes, but the main ones were to the center of Italy. Uh, a, 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 a tribe called the Marci, a people called the Marci, who were fairly Latinized. Uh, they spoke Latin. And they were um, they were the main movers and shakers of the war, and had been uh, at the forefront of the attempts to uh, to petition the Romans to be granted citizenship. They were so important, in fact, that uh, they, one of the many names by which this conflict has been called in history. One of, uh, one of them was the Bellum Marsicum, or the Marsic War. Um, the other main group were a sort of southern central Italian people called the Samnites, and the Samnites had been uh, uh, Rome's fearsome opponents in the, uh, the 5th and 4th centuries BCE. And they, you know, they fought very well, and they lasted 
Uh, they, they were the, the last group of people, really, to be reconciled to Rome as the war's end. And of course, on the other side, uh, they were primarily just the Romans. Okay. So when we get into 90 then, um, how do you suggest we, we handle the main events? Do you want to handle it uh, from talking about the mil main military activities and talking about uh, di diplomacy efforts or vice versa? Or do you want to tackle it in more of a uh, time chronology where maybe we're, we're talking about it in quarters? What do you, what do you suggest? Um, the, the difficulty with summarizing the year is that there were a lot of battles um, but some overall themes right, at least suggest themselves. The overall themes were that when the Romans mobilized, they had this particular strategy, essentially, of, uh, of pushing into allied territory, um, destroying one community at a time until they could compel the surrender of everyone. And, of course, the Italians themselves, they're prime strategy was to resist that very thing and in a sense to make the Romans hurt so badly from fighting the war with them that they would eventually be willing to concede what the Allies wanted to make it stop. And it was a pretty bold strategy because I mean, you should be remembered that by this point the Roman Imperium, the Roman Empire, uh, had almost encompassed the entire Mediterranean. This was the recognized world power. Um, and here was this sort of revolution, if you want to call it that, that broke out in its own backyard. Um, it's amazing how ambitious this war was on the part of the Allies who fought it, and just how successful they were. Um, in terms of, of themes, without going into a detailed explanation of each individual engagement, one of the things that strikes the historian who looks at it is just how badly the Romans fared in the war. And again, this is all the more surprising because they were the world power, but they didn't do very well. Um, I don't have the exact number, but there are something like a dozen fairly significant engagements in the year 90, and the Romans lost most of them. I would say that you know they won maybe about four battles of the eight. Now, fortunately for them, they, they won these battles sort of late in the year, which gave them a, a boost to morale, but it was not Rome's finest performance. So, okay, so let's talk about, um, Seth, uh, uh, some ancillary stuff then to this, this conversation. Uh, how, how large would Rome, so so it's, it's an interesting term, right? Um, because there's there's the Roman Republic, but then there's also the city of Rome, but then there's also the allies, which in the last episode, you said if you're basically talking to a, Ro a Roman person, they would say, well, the allied communities are part of Rome, right? So it's an interesting, um, there's different dynamics at play here. How, is it known wh where Rome was raising their, their troops from? And, and is there any sense of in that, uh, catchment area how how like large population wise I've I've heard um, the figure of a million citizens um, uh, a million people in Rome as a population in the ancient period has come up on, in this in this show before um, so is there any sense of where Rome was raising their their troops from and 
and kind of the overall pool of, of, of people that was available to them? Um, that is actually a very interesting question. Uh, it's best answered by where the Romans didn't get their manpower because they didn't get their manpower from practically any of their allies, which was a major difference. The Romans had been accustomed to supplementing their armies by means of these Italians for centuries, and they had to rely, it would seem, primarily on their own citizen body. And they certainly seem to have numbers, but numbers, I mean, so I told you, uh, we discussed last time that um, in the first year of the war, it was estimated that both the Romans and the Allies fielded comprehensively about 100,000 men apiece. So they seemed to have as many men as they needed, but the problem was those men weren't, those, those soldiers weren't particularly good. Um, over the span of several decades, many Romans had not had an extensive amount of military experience as they might have earlier on in the Republic. So they had the numbers, but they didn't necessarily, and they had the numbers, and they had the weapons, and they had the money, but they didn't have a lot of battle-hardened veterans. Um, as many as, for example, the Allies. We don't have a reliable estimate of how large their populations were, enough to field 100,000 men, of course. But based on the way the Romans used them in previous centuries, it is highly probable that most of the allies who fought against the Romans had much greater military experience in the Roman legions than the Romans did. So, when, and that has to be a factor in why the Romans didn't do well. They were essentially fighting against people who had been trained by to fight as the Romans did, by the Romans themselves, and did it better. So it's, Does that answer your question? Yeah, it, it, it does. Yeah, and I have a follow-up. So believed that, and this did come up in the last episode, but I want to um, clarify and make sure the point's emphasized. So it's believed that it's a, a, approximately 100,000 troops on both both sides, but it's believe, but it's also believed that the Allied, uh, ki- the Allied community, the, the coalition or alliance, um, had more experienced soldiers. Yeah, it's been, it's, that's certainly been speculated. It is highly probable. Okay. Did Rome have any allies by this point in time? In the, in, the, in the war, of course, is what we're talking about today. We don't see very many of them. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, one of the, the, the glaring omissions in, uh, is mention of the Latins, the, the inhabitants of Roman Latium, the people who have been Rome's oldest allies, their closest ethnic uh, uh, relatives, I mean, Roman, the Romans were a Latin people. And from what we can gather, the Latins seem to have sat this one out. Uh, um, they didn't join the alliance, but they didn't yield their numbers to the Romans either, as best we can tell. And that would have been a, a major blow. Um, if they, the Romans did, I mean, they didn't have very many allies on whom they could rely. The Romans very rarely, at this stage at least, recruited from outside the Italian peninsula. Uh, in one notable instance, they, uh, they got some cavalry from Northern Africa, but it turns out the cavalry that they got from Northern Africa uh, belonged to this tribe 
one of whose members of the one of whose royal family members had been imprisoned in Rome, and the Allies found where he had been jailed, let him free, and exhibited him in the front lines to these the foreign cavalry, and the foreign cavalry seemed to lose heart at this, and the Romans couldn't trust them. So even this, the Allies managed to foil. They basically made the Romans fight them on their own. Okay, so there's how many how many how many battles in this in this year shows up in the in in the records that were documented um i i can't remember the precise number it's somewhere between 10 and 15. okay and you'd mentioned uh and please clarify in your response so rome uh rome lost uh it sounded like it sounded like most of them but began winning more of them near the end of the year is that correct that's that's basically accurate yes Okay. Yeah. Is there any main his, um, Is there any popular historical figures that you want to introduce, whether being uh, uh, consuls at this point in time, um, but on on either either sides of the uh, of, of the um, the parties? It was an interesting conflict, uh, as much as some prominent figures from the later Republic first sort of got their military starts in this war. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the figures who was a lieutenant to a consul was a man named Gnaeus Pompeius Strabo, who would go on to run for consul uh, for the year 89 and win that. And he had, as one of his um, military officers, his own son, um, Pompeius, who would later on become Pompeius Magnus, better known as Pompey the Great, um, at one point in that sort of, in a, another junior officer of Pompeius uh, was Marcus Tullius Cicero. So his first military experience was in this war. Uh, and you know, he's, he's one of the more valuable sources that we have because while he doesn't talk about the war very often, uh, he is one of the few people who wrote about the war, who had firsthand experience of it, but whose accounts we still have. Um, so the, the father of Marcus Licinius Crassus um, was a, a lieutenant in this war. Um, a, a, a relative of, a, uh, of the young Gaius Julius Caesar was consul. Um, neither Caesar himself, of course, was too young to fight in it. And his father doesn't seem, his, his father doesn't seem to have fought in it either. Um, but his, uh, a, a relative did. As much as this war would be the sort of initial uh, training for later figures. It was really more notable for how many people from Rome's immediate past it involved as well. Uh, there were a number of foreign, uh, there were former, former consuls who had been picked to serve as lieutenants in this war, several triumphators. The most notable of these was Gaius Marius, uh, who by this point had been consul six times was far in a way the most recognizable military figure in the Roman establishment, and he fought as lieutenant in this war. And if if any military figures made made the most of their experience in this war, though, it was Lucius Cornelius Sulla. Uh, Sulla got his first independent com uh, his first independent commands in this war. He would eventually parlay his experience in the first year and the second year to run for consul and be elected uh, in the year 88. So a lot of 
luminaries from the military history of the Roman Republic, past and future, are, are found in this conflict. Okay. Um, the show has covered, uh, for everyone listening, Cicero a couple times in the past. Um, the show has also covered uh, Sulla and Marius in separate episodes. Um, so that's that's findable if anyone goes to the ethicabound.com website and uh, searches for those those names. Um, what uh, what was the relationship? So the the Sulla and Marius uh, stands out uh, uh, because later on they, they, those two individuals have a very antagonistic relationship with each other. What how would you describe? at this point in time, what their relationship was? Loathing. They hated each other. Um, in fact, sources say that if the Allies had not, if the war with them had not broken out at this point, it is not difficult to see how open violence between supporters of Marius and supporters of Sulla would have fought with each other in the streets of Rome. It might have been a, a, a civil war three or, three or four years before the Civil War actually broke out. Um, yeah, they, they detested each other. Uh, and it, it goes back to the war against Tudonis and Kimbri from a couple, from about a decade and a half earlier. But yeah, they 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 hated each other. There's a, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, please uh, complete your thought because I'm going to ask something different here in a moment. There is one battle this remarkable battle that was essentially won by, by Marius, one of the, the main victories that the Romans had uh, in, the, uh, in the year 80, uh, the year 90 rather, uh, this battle in, in uh, a series of vineyards near the city of Sora. And one account says that Sulla actually contributed to that battle, that he uh, functioned as, uh, as Marius' right-hand man. I believe that's actually a mistake in the sources. I don't think that he did. Um, and it, I mean, there's, it's not unlikely that if that did happen, that Sulla would have done his duty. But based on where Sulla was, they, they would definitely have had an interest in keeping apart from each other and would not have wanted to cooperate as they absolutely had to. Yeah, they, they were on bad, bad, bad terms. You, uh, you provided a, a se segue for the question I was gonna ask, um, Seth. Um, so you'd mentioned Marius was a lieutenant. I don't know if the, the uh, the, the rank in this war came up yet with uh, Sula, at least I don't, I don't recall uh, yet. So what, what, uh, what was lieutenant in, in a Roman army? Could you describe what that is? And, um, and then can you, can you bring in the involvement uh, and maybe one of these two individuals were, were consul, I'm not positive, it can come up in your response, but um, can you bring in to your response to what the involvement, if any, uh, a consul, one of the two consuls or both consuls would have had in uh, in the war in the war at this point, Roman armies were typically led by men who had a power called imperium, which basically means the right to command men. And those officials were either consuls or praetors or people who had been named proconsuls or propraetors. Uh, every general of the army, and I mean the Romans didn't have a set military establishment; they didn't have a series of of ranks that their officers went through. Essentially, you were either a subordinate, which could go anything from, you know, from lieutenant to you know, lieutenant general in modern armies, 
or you were the overall commander of the army, so anywhere from a four-star general to a field marshal. And a consul or a proconsul would basically have held that rank. And what was remarkable about this war is the Romans dispatched, and they didn't always do this, but they dispatched both their consuls while they were in office, because what by this point had been the pattern was is that magistrates served a year in office, and then they were sent as proconsuls to a theater of war. But they sent in serving constant time. Every officer, every commander with Imperium would have a series of people he brought with him to carry out various tasks for him, whether they were messengers or uh, or you know, commanders of a division of the entire army. So that's what these legates, legati, is what their officer were called, and that's essentially what they functioned as. The best way to, to picture it would be that. Each consul had about five or six divisions, and so he would have he, the consul would have been the, the field marshal or the five-star general, and each one of these legati would have been somewhere about a brigadier general or a a, 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 a major general in the modern army, and that's what both Sulla and Marius were doing in this war. Both of them were subordinates to consuls and essentially functioned as uh, as you know, as division commanders. Had either been consul by this point in time? Oh yes, uh, Marius had been consul six times. Uh, he had fought uh, and successfully concluded the Jugurthine War, and had fought the war against the Teutonians and the Cimbri. Uh, he had had you know he did, uh, almost a decade of experience commanding men in battle. Um, if the Romans had if looking back on it, if the Romans had done what they should have done, what they should have done is given him command of of the entire effort. It would have taken a little bit longer. Um, there wouldn't have been a lot of because that's the way Marius tended to fight. He tended to wait until his men were razor sharp and then engage in these gigantic set piece battles. So I mean, the year ninety would have probably been very frustrating. But what would have happened probably is that Marius would have launched a major series of attacks in the year 90 and probably won the entire war in that year. But weirdly, they didn't give him a command. They gave him a or subordinate command. Um, they misused him badly. And there were political reasons for this. Um, essentially, they were jealous because Marius had so often used his military uh, exploits to win election to high office, and they were essentially afraid he was going to do that again. So... They couldn't not use him because the people would probably have gone crazy um, because they would have seen that the Romans weren't taking this seriously. But they couldn't allow him to do too much or else they were afraid he'd run for consul again. And that was one of the major mistakes the Romans made in that first year. Hmm. Stella, for his part, had never been elected consul. He'd been elected praetor. He'd had some experience with subordinate commands but had never independently commanded an army yet. Okay. On the martial side, is there anything else that you uh, want to highlight in this episode today before we talk diplomacy? Um, the, the, Romans, the Roman commanders either were woefully unprepared or they just they didn't take the Allies seriously. And one of the sources suggested that that, that both of these things were true. They they fell for 
for dumb, easily to see through stratagems. Um, and they, they fell before, frankly, I mean, visible deceit. Uh, there's a notable episode where the the overall command, one of the overall commanders of the entire alliance, a man named Quintus Papadius Sila, who's a fascinating character, um, had sent word to uh, a Roman commander, subordinate commander, that he wanted to defect. That essentially all he ever wanted was to be a Roman citizen, and he was prepared to surrender his entire army if the Romans would just give him personally the citizenship. And um, and so the the subordinate commander uh, bought it. He had uh, he basically led his men to a hill where the surrender was about to take place, and they were completely ambushed, and the Roman commander was actually killed in battle. Everyone should have seen that coming from a mile away, but I mean, the, the Romans just didn't. They made silly mistakes like that. Hmm. Okay, were there any um, marked diplomacy efforts in this, uh, in this second year of the war? There were, there were a few very late in, uh, in the, the year. Um, and, um, and it, I mean, very late in the year, in fact, it may have been in the, er, in the early part of the following year, at one point, um, there had been this overture uh, that, you know, that there was a discussion of uh, a, a Roman general and an allied general saying something like, we don't want to do this. Essentially, we don't have a, a great big battle. And he said, no, we don't but you won't give us what we want, so we have to. So he, so he was sort of indicating to him that the, the Allies would still make peace at this point, even though they'd been fighting a war for an entire year and winning it, that they were still willing to accept peace in exchange for citizenship, and the Romans really weren't all that interested um, in giving to them. Though there is a, an exception to that, which should probably be discussed. Um, the, the Allies themselves were also beginning to put feelers out to foreign peoples. Most notably, they put out a feeler to Mithridates of, of, uh, of Pontus, uh, a name that's, that's probably comparatively familiar uh, to the audience, um, who would be, have been a, a, a nuisance for the Romans for decades and would be a nuisance for decades to come, uh, to get him to try and join in, not necessarily to give them material aid, but to get the Romans to uh, have to divert some of their forces to go and fight it. Okay, yeah, and for everyone listening, uh, Mithridates has come up, I'm pretty certain, a few times in different episodes on the show, but more so recently, uh, on July 14th, 2021, an episode was published with Dr. Julietta Steinhauer, and we covered the Roman province of Asia. So that's an episode if anyone wants to uh, learn more about Mithridates, but also understand that former Roman province um, in, uh, called Asia. So the allied communities such as the Etruscans and the Latins, you'd mentioned the Latins earlier, Seth, um, what's, what's known about what they were doing by this point in time? The Etruscans apparently had already con uh, contacted the Allies and were about to enter the war, and would do so in the in the sort of uh, in the late ninety, early eighty nine. Uh, they didn't have much of a role. They were easily knocked back out of it again. Uh, they didn't commit at the beginning, but they would commit later on. 
the Latins apparently were just uh, watching and waiting. And this was something that probably was very much on the minds of the Senate at the time, that the Latins could, could sway the war either way should they join. And the Latins knew this too. And of course, the Latins had been just as passionate about gaining the citizenship as the Marxi and the other communities. And that actually paid dividends for that. Um, late in the year, late in the year 90, um, the consul, one of the only surviving consul, because one of them had died in battle, uh, but Lucius Julius Caesar, uh, went back to Rome. Now, he had to do this to uh, hold consular elections for the next year, but he also, while he was there, passed a law, the Lex Julia, because laws were named after the person who passed them. And essentially, it gave, um, it gave the citizenship to all Italians who had not fought against the Romans. And there's this, this nebulous um, sense about, and others who had laid their arms down within a certain span of time. Uh, we don't know what the exact specific were. We know that it didn't get most of the allies to stop fighting, so it must not have been extended to them. But it, it apparently was extended as a way to buy the Latins. Because if the Latins were now Romans, as they would be henceforth, uh, they would have to fight. They would be susceptible to conscription. And apparently the Latins were perfectly pleased with this arrangement. They would contribute soldiers and in exchange for being given the citizenship. And it really worked. Um, the year 89 was a major turning point, and that was almost certainly because the Romans had more men. I mean, they had some experience by this point, um, but they had more men, and they essentially were able to, you know, to uh, fight their way mostly to victory in the year 89. So that offer, and so that I understand it correctly, the offer was basically if, if, a, if a state or community uh, allies with Rome in the war, uh, people in that community or state would be granted citizenship, Roman citizenship. And did that occur in 90 BCE? Late 90, to take effect in, in the year 89. Okay. And I mean, it was either people who had, who were technically still Rome's allies in Italy who wanted um, they were, I mean, the Romans didn't force them to become citizens that they didn't want. And there were a number of Greek-speaking communities in southern Italy who, who didn't want it. Um, but the Latins certainly did. Okay. Um, is it known if, uh, so to clarify, did, did any allied communities accept the offer in, in 90 BCE? Uh, well, I mean, we know that most of the Latin communities did. Um, Apparently, it wasn't extended all the way up into northern Italy in a place called Cisalpine Gaul. So they remained not citizens from what we can gather. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, allies who were actually engaged in fighting, did any lay down their arms to switch sides? No. Okay. Okay. Um, is, it, is it known or can it be estimated? So there's a, a hundred thousand soldiers on both, both sides approximately. Is there any sense or can it be estimated how many casualties would have occurred by this point in the war? Uh, um, that's rather more difficult because the conventions of historiography. Um, I mean, figures of, of dead and, and battle are never entirely reliable. What we seem to get is that the number of 
men who died were substantial and they were about even on both sides. But, uh, and, and apparently it caused significant problems with morale. Uh, at one point, the Roman Senate decreed that, I mean, there were so many bodies coming back into the city um, that, and it was causing such an uproar about all these Romans who were dying, that they decreed that henceforward, for the duration of the war, men who died in battle would have to be buried on the field um, because they, just didn't, they didn't want the public spectacle. Uh, in the United States, there's something called the Dover Test, which is how the public reacts, because the public reacts to war differently. Um, but the sight of caskets coming back to the Dover Air Force Base, and that would have been the ancient equivalent of that, um, the optics of seeing all these men dying. Um, and the Allies apparently adopted the same measure. In fact, we know that the Romans did this precisely because the Allies did the same thing. The, the history mentions it. Okay. Is there, before we wrap up, this conversation today, Seth, is there is there anything else that occurred in this this year that's very point worthy that you want to make sure gets through in the episode? Um, nothing that immediately springs to mind. Um, it, it's one of those things where if you're taking sides as a as a you know, historians are of course supposed to be objective, but if you're if you're pulling for the allies, it really looks like they're they're making significant progress, um, and it's it's worthwhile examining that uh, to see just how this this Roman army that had conquered most of the known world by this point were essentially being badly slapped around by these Italian communities. So yeah, um, and you know there there's one there's one notable episode that shows just how weird and how familiar this Rome this this war was. Um, after the Romans had inflicted this major defeat, after Marius and the Romans had inflicted this major defeat on the Marsi primarily at Sora, um, they weren't done. I mean, the, the Marsi were definitely not knocked out of the war. They were still ready to fight. And the story goes that there was going to be one more battle and Papadius Silo uh, gathered his men and Marius mobilized his men and they, they got them in the field ready to fight. But it was comparatively late in the year and everyone on both sides knew that winter was about to happen and this battle probably wouldn't change anything. And as they began to approach each other, they began to recognize each other. Uh, because the, uh, some of the men on, on Marius' side uh, had, had had previous experience, probably fighting under Marius in the previous war. Um, some of the allies had had experience fighting the Roman army, probably under Marius in the previous decade. So these men knew each other. Uh, they could speak, they spoke the same language, they had served in the same army, they had served under the same commander. And the story goes that as they approached about to do battle, they just stopped. They put their weapons down and basically embraced each other. Um, and Marius and Silos essentially approached the front to try and figure out what had happened, found that the men were in no mood to fight, and they basically called off the battle. That Marius and Silo decided that the better use of their time would be to see if they could negotiate something. So they spent, I mean, the, the men essentially you know, had a had a reunion. They didn't, they didn't declare, they didn't fight, 
and the commanders just began to negotiate. So it was mm-hmm. a weird, intimate war, this one. It's uh, the sort of episode that you might expect to see in like um, the early years of World War One, where all of a sudden they stop fighting and play a game of football, or in the American Civil War, where I mean, they just they just fight, stop fighting because they knew each other so well. Well, we the the show uh, just covered the ancient Olympic Games with uh, Professor Judith Beringer of the University of Edinburgh, and uh, and that one of the items with the with the ancient Olympic Games is is the truce. That, that that occurred between states and and that was so that athletes could uh, could could actually um, travel and get to the actual games and, and go home afterwards etc um, in an episode that is uh, naturally focused on a particular war ending on that no- note of camaraderie uh, ship sounds uh, like an, like a good spot to end Seth you understand this topic at a very granular level, and I always enjoy chatting with you. Thanks for coming on the show again. Thank you for having me. So the book, everybody, that Dr. Kendall wrote is entitled The Struggle for Roman Citizenship, Romans, Allies, in the Wars of 91 to 77 BCE. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Seth and everybody listening, as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.